Welcome to the Fully Delighted Podcast, a hopeful and helpful resource from South Mountain Community Church, a multi-site church in Utah. Each week we will be hearing from our staff as we explore what makes SMCC unique, as well as what it means to be fully devoted and fully delighted in Jesus Christ. We hope this podcast can be a helpful resource for you to take your next step with Jesus. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fully Delighted Podcast. My name is Adam and I get to serve as the Campus Support Team Director. And with me, almost as always, pretty much, almost always, is Pastor Eric and Pastor Paul here. Good to have you guys here today. Yeah, it's good to be here, diving into chapter 6 today of 1 Corinthians. It actually is going to go really well with an upcoming sermon in our Revolutions series uh, we're talking about sex again today, because the Apostle Paul is doing that. So a PG-13 well, warning on this? He's doing that. He's talking about sex. That sounded weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're in a couple weeks after Alyssa Childers is here. The following week, we'll talk about uh, the passage that deals with uh, pagan attitudes towards sex, and I'm calling it the original sexual revolution. I like oh, it. What, okay, cool. what the Apostle Paul wrote in this paragraph. <clears throat> yep. It liberated uh, women. It, it, it valued them and honored them, and it put boundaries and parameters around men, and it really did revolutionize society. And now here we are a few thousand years later in the West with those ethics built into our world. Right. Right. Wow. So I'm looking forward to that sermon, and I'm looking forward to today. And uh, if you're driving in the car, taking your kids to practice, you know, maybe uh, skip to another podcast. But uh, <laughs> or yeah, be. just yeah, watch out. <laughs> should, but we're gonna have a good time today talking about uh, sexual ethics and what it means to human flourishing. So yeah, so we'll go ahead and like usual, reading out of the NIV. We're in First Corinthians six for today. So I'm gonna go ahead and read verses one through six uh, with with you guys, and uh, we'll we'll just start there. Mm-hmm. Apostle Paul says, "If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people, or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world?" And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge and dispute between believers? But instead, one brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers. Yeah, I think um, there's a couple things here to look at, but but Paul gives us a real filter there at the end. This is in front of unbelievers. So much of this letter is um, written to help the Corinthians uh, live in a way that uh, makes Jesus look good to those who are not Christians yet. Mm. And I think that that's a big part of this letter, and... Um, still should be a big part of the church today. What do people who are not there yet think of you? Um, That's an important thing. So that's kind of a filter with which to see that. And then he talks a lot about this judgment stuff, and uh, pretty interesting. Um, There were clearly some people getting into some issues with other people in the church, some lawsuits, civil lawsuits most likely. Um, Although I don't know if they would have broken it down that way in the first century. I don't know Greco-Roman law. I don't know how that was shaped, but... um, they could solve these things in-house, so to speak, but instead of doing that, they were going to people who saw the world differently, making an embarrassment of their church and Jesus. And Paul says, come on, guys, figure this out on your own. 
Yeah, Eric, I'm glad that you brought that up because that's really the big picture here. Uh, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You know, he is the light of the world, but then he said in the Sermon on the Mount that you are the light of the world. And he basically just reiterated what we learn in Genesis, uh, that our role is to represent Christ or to represent God. We're, we're supposed to be the kind of people that reflect him and represent him well. Mm-hmm. And the church just was not doing that mm-hmm. well in Corinth. Interesting. Especially with this lawsuit thing. The lawsuit thing is interesting because uh, it's just another example of take care of your own business. Don't mm-hmm. be all looking outside the church and judging people outside the church. Take care of yourself and mm-hmm. and and work on your witness together as a church. And I think that the church overall has failed to do this. This is where we get in trouble. And this is why in that book, Unchristian, the number one thing by Kinnaman, mm-hmm. uh, number one thing in his survey with the Barna Research Group that people say about the church is that they're judgmental. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's hard to shed that <laughs> label. You, and they judge the wrong people. Exactly. That's the problem. Right, right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think we've talked about this throughout this podcast series, but... Um, it's okay to be evaluating the behavior inside the church. Like, we got to get a kind of okay with that. Yeah. There's some accountability, there's influence. Now, of course, that can be done in really um, inappropriate ways, but um, there's value in doing that. Now, Paul, you talked about Genesis here. Um, there's this interesting thing that I think comes up, and, and Paul, the Apostle Paul might be alluding to this. I'm not even incredibly sure what I think about this, so I'm just going to throw it out there. We'll sort of process together. In Genesis, Adam and Eve were to be stewards or to rule over, okay, and subdue and lead uh, creation, right? There was a part of that. And here in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about this judging that will be done of angels. So you, you kind of get this sense that Paul's looking into the future, that at some point in the future, God's people will rule with him and judge, so to speak, that's the, the language here, judge um, with him. And Paul, I don't know if you're prepared to talk about that, but um, that's an interesting yeah. thing. Sort of, he's not making a big <laughs> deal of it, but he's sort of assuming that future understanding when he makes this case. Do you have anything to say about that? Yeah, um, we are the crowning cre- uh, creation of, of God. We, we are superior to the angels in that way. And so I think in the next life, there will be this, in a sense, a pecking order that we will rule with Him. Okay. So we rule with Christ mm-hmm. uh, as the church, and the angels don't. Right, yeah. right. And I, th- I think that's where, where that's coming from. Yeah, so Paul's kind of including that here in his, in his conversation. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that, because I think our role, uh, going back to Genesis, is to create culture. And I think that that's how I'd summarize his instructions to Adam and Eve. Create a great culture, mm. uh, orderly, uh, a culture that is built upon my values is what I think he's saying to them. And so what we can do is build a culture at SMCC. If, we, if we're taking this, this seriously and looking at 1 Corinthians and all the things that the Apostle Paul is saying to that church, he's saying, build a godly culture. Then you make other people jealous for what you have. Mm-hmm. And, and I've said this before in my illustration about the fortress thing, and I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. There's two ways to think about that. One is uh, 
that we are outside that fortress. These people are in bondage inside the fortress, and they break they break down the walls from the inside out, running to a superior culture, mm-hmm. a culture of love and respect and kindness and goodness and forgiveness. And people want that mm-hmm. and, and community. And so if we will do this well... We don't have to worry about reaching so or breaking down the the gates of hell to go rescue them. They will break down the walls to flee that bondage mm-hmm. and come to our great culture. Yeah. You know, when it comes to creating a culture, and Paul, that is such a great filter with which to look at this whole concept. When it comes to creating a great culture, it's what you it's what you uh, tolerate that sometimes becomes yes. the baseline in mm-hmm. your culture. And the Apostle Paul throughout the letter is saying, stop tolerating this crap. Stop mm-hmm. tolerating it. Uh, civil lawsuits, sexual immorality, we're going to get to that next. Stop tolerating that. And if you're if you're going to create the right kind of culture, Paul, I'll sum it up like this, a kingdom culture, there you go. where the yeah. values of the king are mm-hmm. what people experience, yeah. we are to lead out in creating that culture in our church, and then someday in the future, we will lead out with Christ in having that type of kingdom come. And uh, that's this judgment concept. Now, so I think that's a really good lens with which to view it. It kind of looks a little bit weird, like we're going to be ruling with him. What's that going to look like? It's implementing the kingdom culture, the values of the king, and that's what the church will be doing, is doing, and will be doing. And uh, Paul says, I say this to shame you. Really, it's not to, you know, we hear shame and think, wow, that's so like abusive, shaming somebody's emotionally abusive. It, it's far more of a, I'm saying this to... Um, expose something in you, and so you can change. And I think that that's the good sense of the word shame here in this passage. You know, I can't remember, is it in Galatians that the Apostle Paul talks about the angels are watching your behavior? Mm. And, and, yeah. and there's a sense of they still have a judgment day, and they will decide whose side they're really on, mm. and they're actually watching our response to the gospel mm-hmm. and how we live out this to choose which direction they go. That's what it looks like. Sure. And I wish I had that verse right off the top of my head. I just don't. Yeah, I'm not well-versed in angelology, uh, <laughs> the study of angels, but uh, but certainly there's plenty of evidence within the Bible um, to come to the conclusion that there are other created spiritual beings. Mm-hmm. And um, here we see an example of the connection between those created spiritual beings and us as created beings. So so we involved ourselves, or I guess I got involved in a dispute between mm. two of our members oh, at really? one time. <laughs> and this is where one member um, stole money over a long period of time from her boss who also attended here. Mm. Mm. And one of the really big problems was that guy was not a Christian, mm. but he came with his wife. But in in incredible generosity, he said, I'll I'll go to you instead of to the police if we can work this out. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that's fantastic. Wow. But this is a that was a criminal thing. Mm-hmm. And so it was super dicey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We ended up the police did get involved. We could never really work it out mm-hmm. as a church. So mm-hmm. uh, but I I I at least really appreciated the attempt mm-hmm. by the offended party to say, look, if, if we can work out a payment plan or something like this. And, and ultimately, I worked with the police to come up with a satisfactory repayment plan. Yeah, And, and so we kind of worked together, but still, it was a black mark on mm. our church because we had a lawsuit that uh, we really could not resolve. 
Yeah. And again, this this is this is civil type things. This mm-hmm. is not criminal. Like this is where the church gets in terrible problems is when they keep in house yeah. some criminal activity. Right. No, you got to go to the authorities with that. But their culture was, and we know this from the the whole bema seat yeah. thing. And what's interesting is I actually traveled to Corinth and saw the ruins there, and they have labeled it says bema on this this, and this is where they made judgment, mm. and and so that's where the, the apostle Paul is saying you're going to take this to that bema mm-hmm. or or judgment place. Mm. And it's a public square. I mean, it's out in the open. Everybody hears everything. Mm-hmm. And they're making arguments back and forth in front of the people. Yeah. And then the magistrate or whoever it is, the person with authority, makes a judgment. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, this is a very public thing that would have happened where the dirty laundry of mm. the church would be right out there for everybody mm. to see. But I just re- I just remembered that, that I, that is one of the things that really impressed me about that tour mm. of co- ancient Corinth. Mm-hmm. And they actually have the, the street, the main street, and you can see the sewer system and all that kind of stuff. It was pretty advanced wow. at the time. Uh, it was a very wealthy city. Mm-hmm. Um, let me just say this for all of you that want to go to the Middle East and visit all these uh, places that you read about in the Bible. There's not much left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like a brick turned over. <laughs> and and uh, you probably won't walk where Jesus walked. That's probably about 30 feet below yeah. where you are <laughs> yeah. right now. But anyway, that was a cool thing. That's cool. Yeah. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking about our our world um, with of justice, you know what I mean? And innocent mm. until proven guilty. You know, we have some things built into our culture that's that really does honor and dignify people in the process. Mm. And I think that um, in the first century world where might made right, people at the top, the wealthy, they right. won. They right. won. It, mm-hmm. it wasn't that it, it was completely different. So the Apostle Paul is saying, when you have these disputes, let's evaluate them in house if possible because we value people appropriately. Um, we value justice, we value truth, and we value grace. And I think that um, as our world now, 2,000 years later, our, um, our legal system is sort of built more on these Christian ethics right. that um, you, you, it's confusing to us. Why deal with it in-house when there's a legal system to deal with it? Well, you just got to remember in the first century, I think the legal system probably looked a lot different. Yeah. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, let's, let's keep that in mind and let's judge things internally because that judgment can honor people and honor God. And um, I think that... It was probably a very contrasting approach in the first century. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Unfortunately, I think our justice system is tilt, being tilted toward the rich and the powerful. Yeah, a little bit too much, mm-hmm. but back then, way tilted. Yep. Yes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So that made in-house, in-church dealings more valuable because it was more. There was more honor, dignity, justice, um, concern for. Uh, the parties than than in the world, and so that that was important. Yeah. All right, let's press on. Yeah, let's read uh, verses 7 through 11 now. So the Apostle Paul says, The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Mm. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. 
Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? All right, let's pause right there, because here comes a major shift in this section. Mm. My NIV has sexual immorality coming in verse 12. Yep. He's about to dive into some of this stuff now. You know, I don't know if that's the best part for the break. But as I was reading this today, I thought to myself, why not rather be cheated, be wronged? I thought, well, well, that was what Jesus said yes to. I will be wronged. I I will be cheated. I will be abused, although I'm innocent for the sake of people. So I just see this this real yeah. gospel push right there. That's yep. all I wanted to say. Mm-hmm. So he continues, Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Woo. This is uh, this is a tough one, and I'll tell you why. If you read this simply, you know, with like let's say you don't have any other Bible, mm-hmm. all the rest of the New Testament's been burned up in a fire, and this is the only <laughs> thing that you have to read. It says that, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Mm. Hmm. And then it says, um, and then it says that all these people with all these different uh, continual, continuous public sin uh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, and that is what some of you were. And mm-hmm. so... It it seems to paint a picture of before you become a Christian, you were the, all these kind of things, and then after you become a Christian, none of those things are true of you. Mm-hmm. And it's like kind of a black and white, sinful, sinless type of a transition. Mm. And pr- previous... To uh, becoming a Christian, you are a wrongdoer, and you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Post becoming a Christian, you are uh, you are sinless in the sense that you are washed and sanctified, and now you're ready to go without sin in your life, and now you're going to inherit the kingdom of God. The gospel is that um, we get into the kingdom of God, not based on our own behavior, but on the behavior of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. We don't get into heaven based on our record, our moral record. We depend on God's moral record in the person of Christ to, as our ticket Mm -hmm. into the next life, Mm -hmm. into the kingdom of God. So if you can't behave your way into the kingdom, you cannot behave your way out of the kingdom. Mm. And I I was reading... um, this this sermon just the other day found on the Gospel Coalition website, and the guy was talking about this passage, and he said, it should be enough to know that if you don't clean up... I'll, I'll paraphrase. If you don't clean up your act, you're going to go to hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's on the website called the Gospel Coalition. <laughs> wow. And this guy saying the threat of hell is enough to cause you to clean up your act. Hmm. And I think it's the kindness of God mm-hmm. that causes us to repent, not the threat of hell. Mm-hmm. And so I've always said that loving Jesus Christ and placing your trust in Him 
for your life, your eternal life, you trust Him, is very different from fear of hell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those so, are not the same things. One thing I'm thinking about, kind of going off what you're saying, Paul, too, is I'm also looking at, you know, verses, um, you know, well, the section we just read, but talking about how these these people who are, um, these wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God, um, and he gives this list. And I think if maybe I'm like a lot of other people, I'm like, oh man, that's like, that's a pretty heavy list, right? And and so what I'm thinking, you guys are much smarter than me, but, you know, we get our identity from Christ and it's, and it's having that trust and identity in Christ that um, that allows us to have that relationship with God. And so is it right to say that Paul's saying, if you are identifying in this way, it's not just the activity necessarily that's, that's um, you know, oh, if I mess up sexually, immorally, then now I, I, I'm not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But it's like, if I'm identifying and continuing and like not identifying myself in Christ, is that is that a right way of looking at that? Yeah, you know, I think... Um... There's a the interpretive challenge here is what does Paul mean by inherit the kingdom of God? Sure. Is yeah. that salvation? Well, why didn't he say that? You won't be saved. Mm. You won't have eternal life. He could have chosen other words. He used inherit the kingdom of God. Inherit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the question is is uh, in, what does that mean? And mm-hmm. of course, the natural reading is go to heaven. That's what some people. That's how some right. people naturally read it. Right. Sure. There is another way to read it though, mm-hmm. and that is experience experience the benefits of the kingdom. Ah, there that's we another go. way to read it. Yeah. So if you're doing these things, you won't experience life as God designed for you to experience it. Mm. Now, uh, the question though, to your point, is it, then it would be strange for him to talk about justification next. If it were just about this type of life in the kingdom, you know, the blessings that come from obedience, uh, mm-hmm. meaning you live the way you were designed to live, mm-hmm. um, why would he go to justification next? These real salvific words, washed, sanctified, uh, justified, especially washed and justified, those seem to be mm-hmm. salvation in mind. Mm-hmm. So I think when we read it in English, we get the cart before the horse, sort of. Like, if you're doing mm-hmm. these things, you're not you're not saved. What I think he's trying to say is that if you are saved, you won't be doing these things. Sure, right. I think right. that's sort of the cart before the horse argument there. So I do think it's salvation, mm-hmm. but I don't think he's preaching a works-based approach to being saved. That would be nonsensical right. to everything else the Apostle Paul right. says. So I think he's trying to say, if you have these things in your life, pay attention to your status, to mm, your point, Adam, right. your, your status. And that's why he talks about justification, which is a status thing. Once you're justified, you are legally declared right. You have a brand new status. So I think he's saying some of you were uh, separate from God, at, and you know that because look at how you behaved. But now that you're justified, you're going to be behaving differently. So Got I it. think it's just once you kind of slow mm-hmm. it down mm-hmm. and kind of take the, t- the themes and put them together in a, in a kind of a biblical theology sense. What else do we know about salvation from the Apostle Paul? Right. You can see how the pieces fit together in a linear way that doesn't preach, clean up your life or you're going to hell. Right. I agree with that. I think that these are the types of behavior that define you, or these are the types of behavior that you can slip up and fall back into yeah. and then repent of and come back out of. Mm-hmm. Let me cross-reference, okay? So here's 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. It says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk 
in the darkness. All those behaviors represent the darkness, okay? We lie and do not live out the truth. In other words, we're hypocrites. We're, we're, we're not living a consistent Christian life, and that's a problem. Then he says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Then it says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So there's this dance of, I admit that I'm not perfect. In fact, uh, it's, it's inconceivable that the people that have left those that lifestyle that's described there mm-hmm. would never sin again in, in any of those ways. I mean, this idea that uh, you would be completely free from greed mm-hmm. for the rest of your life, that you would never get drunk again, that you would never slander somebody else, yeah. that somehow you tell the truth 100% of the time is inconceivable. Right. So it is not the test of who's a Christian. Right. I think the test that the Apostle Paul is recommending that every single person uh, take for themselves is, are these the kind of behaviors that are consistent in your life? Do, 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 are you comfortable in this world of sin? Mm-hmm. If you are, and that's, that's, that's a, a lifestyle that you've chosen, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God in whatever way we want to define it. Mm-hmm. But it's it's important, I think, that everybody asks themselves, do I bear the fruit that is consistent with a life in Christ? If I do not bear that fruit, I should ask myself, am I really a Christian? Mm-hmm. That's what I take away from this. Mm-hmm. It's up for me to do the self-examination. It's not for somebody else to judge me or me to judge them. Mm-hmm. But I should ask myself, is... You know, does this define the type of life that I'm living? If it is, I'm in trouble. Yeah. Mm. Paul, that's really, really good. Um, I think uh, I've been asked this many, many times uh, in my life. Uh, So-and-so does this. Are they going to hell? Right. I've been asked that question a lot. So-and-so does this. Am I going to hell? This passage seems to give you, like, here are the answers to that question. What I respond to people with is this. You don't go to heaven or hell for what you do, but for who you trust what you trust, right? What your faith is placed in, Mm -hmm. who you know. In this passage, you have to read it through 11, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your justification, the thing that makes you right, is based on His name. Yep. And therefore... His character. Exactly. And so I I think with that in mind, built into this passage, you can then be you can be justified by faith in that name and then go back and look at your behavior and evaluate like you just said. I think that's the best way to read this passage. Um, but yeah, all cards on the table. It's a bit of a tricky passage right here. It is. Yeah. Excellent. So, let's press on. I think you guys did good. That's that's great stuff. Let's move on to verses 12 through 17, this next section as it's parsed out Ooh, here. I want to say one more thing. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about the sexually immoral. That's the Greek word porneia. Mm-hmm. Um I think sometimes there's this pushback against the Apostle Paul. Uh, what does he mean by sexually immoral? He just throws it out there, and and sometimes he doesn't define it. Right. 
However, if you look at all that he says about sexually immoral, you see his definition built into it because mm-hmm. he says it's not th- this is out of bounds, this is out of bounds, this is out of bounds, this is out of bounds. And right there, you see a clear distinction. Men having sex with men is out of bounds. That is sexually immoral. Mm. And you see that distinction right there. So I, I just said, okay, what is Paul's definition of sexual, sexually immoral? I put any sexual behavior, thought, or engagement, so really any expression, mm-hmm. outside of one man and one woman committed for life in marriage. Mm. I, think, I, I think that is his definition. And someone might say, well, Eric, where does he actually say that? It's the assumption in light of, the definition in light of everything else he says about sexually immoral. It's mm. super important that we understand that. And um, I think one of the things we need to, to note is that everyone is a sexual sinner in that sense, that whether it's behavior, thought, or engagement, every one of us has engaged in that outside of one man, one woman committed for life in marriage. So everybody is a sexual sinner. So I just want to be clear on that. Sexually right, immoral right. isn't just homosexual behavior, it's all that sexual expression outside of one man, one woman for life. So This phrase, uh, and men who have sex with men, has been debated by so many people because this is a hot topic in the Mm -hmm. church today. Should we affirm homosexual behavior in some sort of way? This, if you're going to go 100% just literal, it is men who lay with men. And everybody knew what that meant back then. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know that there's a big debate here, mm-hmm. even though, you know, people take that and run with it and try to say, well, it doesn't actually say have sex with men, mm-hmm. but it is a way to say the same thing. Yeah, that's right. And of course, when I give my definition that I just gave of sexual immorality, there could be some listeners who go, yeah, of course, Eric, who... who could disagree with that. And there are others that go, that is way too simple and too narrow. Right, right. So that's why the Apostle Paul launches into what he's about to launch into. Mm-hmm. And the question is, uh, if someone says, Eric, you're wrong on that, or Eric, you're right on that, it's we have the same question, where do you get your answer? There you yeah. go. That's the question. Where yeah. do you get your answer? And who gets to say, right? Yeah. Who gets to decide what we do sexually? And uh, there's actually not a lot of options right there. And we're going to get to that as he goes on. So In and, and two weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and to put it really simply, either an authority above you decides or you decide. Those are really the only two options. Yeah, sure. And um, there is really good evidence to go with the authority option, mm-hmm. because if it's you who gets to decide, and Adam, you get to decide, and anybody can decide, mm-hmm. that qu- quickly turns into chaos, sexual yeah. chaos. And um, in many ways, the first century world was chaotic sexually. I don't want that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we want we want to protect the innocent. We want to protect the vulnerable. Uh, we talk about consent in our culture. All that is built on this idea that someone else gets to say. Yeah. Someone else knows what's best. And so let's roll, roll through that now. Mm-hmm. That's what comes yeah, next. Yeah, yeah. So verse 12, the Apostle Paul, said, uh, he goes into a little bit of a self-dialogue here. He says, in quotes, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. You, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? 
Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Oh, man. Okay, I I just got to launch on this because I'm so excited to talk through this. Okay, Paul, you said... Christianity was the original sexual revolution. Right. And that, what Paul just said here, what you just read, Adam, it has revolutionized the world. And Mm. um, you just got to think about the first century sexual world. It was the people at the top. It would be normal for them to have sex slaves. It'd be normal for them to to engage in pedophilia. That was normal. Mm -hmm. No one blinked an eye at that. Right. Um, So when people say, oh, Paul's just reflecting an old school approach. No. This is a radical and brand new approach. I mean, brand new. Judaism had had this, but that's it. And that's why he quotes, two will become one flesh. He's going back to Genesis. So so I just want to make note of that. What Paul is doing here is not this old school, ancient, you know, backwoods approach to sexuality. It was (laughs) brand new, radical, revolutionary. So that's the first thing, is that this was written in contrast and stark challenge to a culture not reflecting a culture. Let's just, let's just be clear. This is such good news for women and children. Oh, yes. Yeah, and and yeah. slaves. Amen to yes. that. Yeah, those Amen three categories. So, yes. so it was liberating and brought dignity to these people. A hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. The second thing I want to note is Paul's reasoning for this sexual ethic. It is not what I've heard in a lot of youth groups. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. I, I was a youth pastor for a long time. It was like, don't have sex, you'll get an STD. Okay, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> that is not Paul's bent here, okay? It's not, oh, don't have sex, because, you know, you know, when you get married, you'll, whatever, you know, like, it wasn't a self-interested approach to a sexual ethic. It was a theological approach to a sexual ethic. Your body was designed for something like this. Your spirit has been united to Jesus. Um, you are going to, um, th- this is such an intimate thing, it's so intimate, and uh, it will it will harm you spiritually. And I think it's really important to see that Paul's reasoning for this sexual approach uh, is just very different than the modern reasoning for a sexual ethic. And yeah, I just sure. think religion has watered down the reasoning, is what I'm trying to get at. So behind all this is the general Greek philosophy that you can do anything you want with your body. Your body is material. It will, it will just uh, turn to dust after you die, and, and it's your mind that is eternal. And so as long as you have your mind in the right place and that sort of thing, uh, you, can, you can do whatever you want with your body. And the Apostle Paul is pushing up against that. And when he uses the word body, when the Apostle Paul uses the word body, and when he talks about flesh, he is talking about the whole person, mm-hmm. body, soul, and spirit. And so with that, we are united with Christ in our body. In other words, he's in us and we are in him. Mm-hmm. And it's not so much the physical body, but the physical body encapsulates <laughs> the spiritual. Mm-hmm. And, and so he says you can't, you can't tear that apart. It's all one. That's why they were in Genesis when sin entered in, naked and felt shame. They right. exposed their body and it exposed their soul. There you go. And to this day, don't we know that that's true? Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, yeah. this is why we wear clothes. Why are we? My dog doesn't know he's naked, right? Like he's. Yeah. <laughs> right. My dog. But Donald Miller, an author, Donald Miller and Blake Jazz, exposed me to that line of thinking. Animals don't wear clothes. Why? Exposed body doesn't mean exposed soul. 
Mm. It does for us. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? There's an exposure there. Mm-hmm. Why would you expose your body in that vulnerable way to somebody who's not going to be safe um, with your soul? Mm. You know what I mean? And that's what yeah. marriage is. It's a, it's a, someone says, I love you so much. You can be completely vulnerable physically, emotionally. Ex- you can be exposed in every way, mm-hmm. and I will love you. So one of the things I'm going to explore in this message on the sexual revolution is the the idea that in the 50s and 60s, especially the 60s, the, the, the thought was that I need to push away from all these restraints, and I want to decide for myself who I have sex with, when I want to have sex, and for what reasons I want to have sex. And mm-hmm. it's nobody's business. It's my body. I can do what I want with it. This is saying the exact opposite of that. <laughs> yeah. It's not yours. It's not yeah. your body. To which we have to say, uh, pretty, pretty sure it feels like my body. How yeah. do I know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Well, here's how we get to a line of reasoning that gets us to an authority. If you would say, and I think most people do, that there are things that should never happen sexually. Rape is always wrong everywhere. It's not a preference. It's not mm. an opinion. It's absolutely morally wrong. Okay, where did that come from? There you go. Whoever gave us that moral lot is the owner over that sexual morality. And so when we say there's morality in the world of sexual ethics, which people are very strong, not even religious people, I mean, irreligious people have strong sexual ethics and morals around what's appropriate. It might, the, the scale might slide a little bit, but right. there's still a line. Mm-hmm. It's, it's greater than a preference. Yeah, it's greater yeah. than a preference. And when you think that you concede that there is a moral lawgiver, and that's all that Paul is trying to say. You don't own this decision. An yeah. authority does. And that draws us all to the place where it's like, okay, who is the moral lawgiver? Yeah. So here's something that's super interesting. And we touched on this a little bit, but looking at culturally um, what Paul's speaking to. And then something... Inter- so when I went to, to Bible school, oh, I don't know, that's like 10 years ago now. I remember a professor talking about the importance of the physical resurrection of Jesus. And Paul actually brings mm-hmm, us into the discussion mm-hmm. here. So it wasn't that Jesus Christ was raised spiritually from the dead, right? But he was physically raised. Right. And so countercultural to the Greco-Roman, you know, mm-hmm. it's basically saying in verse 12, oh, you guys are talking about, oh, it's, it's just food, or uh, 13 actually, it's just food for the body. It's just food. It's an appetite. It's an appetite. Yeah. It's just that's what it is. But the importance of the physical resurrection says our physical bodies are... Are, are important. Yeah, there's a to, connection. There's yes. a connection, and yes. that's mm-hmm. the point I was making. Yeah. Exposed body, exposed soul. We feel that connection. We right. know that connection. Um, I think the Apostle Paul is addressing something that really does show up today, which is some people have two, not even some people, one person can in some ways value sex too highly and then value sex and, and mm. too lo- lowly. I don't know if that's a good... <laughs> is that a bad yeah. English sentence? We value it. <laughs> we, we have too high a view of sex and too low a view of sex. Right. Too high mm-hmm. in that I have to have it. Singleness is miserable. Paul's going to talk about the value of singleness in a little bit, because some people have too high a view of sex. I have to be in a relationship. I have to have this. And some people have too low a view, which means, hey, you know what? It's just like a recreational hobby. It's just like skydiving. You know, it's just going to get with two... I'm just going to join with somebody, and it's a hobby for me. And Paul's Mm -hmm. saying, uh, we got to balance this out. And so he's he's saying this... um, if there's a lawgiver who gets to say what's wrong and out of bounds sexually, well, then it's the same lawgiver who gets to say what it is for, what is the proper purpose of sexuality. And I think um, I go back to two things. I think, Paul, maybe I got this from you in the, in the last sermon we did. I just think of two Cs, uh, creation and celebration, okay? That's, yeah. a, that's a really, really easy way to remember what's the purpose mm. of sex. God created sex 
for creation, to have children, okay, and for celebration, to, ex- to celebrate the intimacy that comes in a marriage relationship that I'm completely exposed, fully known, fully loved, uh, emotionally, deep down inside of who I am, but also fully known, fully loved physically. When the clothes are off, when I'm exposed mm. uh, and, and I'm safe, that actually celebrates this commitment that a spouse makes to their, their spouse. It, it, it's, it's the original sexual revolution because it turns today's thinking on its head. Today's thinking is, I want to have sex with whoever I want, whenever I want, for whatever reason I want, and so it is a selfish endeavor. Yep. It's for me. This says that we're supposed to flee sexual immorality. I know I'm jumping to verse 18 here. <laughs> All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. You are actually made to be givers. Yes. You were designed to give yourself to another person. This is mm. self-donation. That's, that is a crazy, <laughs> radical idea that sex is actually your opportunity to give to another. Wow. Okay. And affirm them and to connect with them and to... And, and this yeah. is so... You just set up chapter seven. Look at this. This is going to sound... In our world, this almost sounds abusive, but it's not. It's beautiful. Look at The husband should fulfill his marital, marital duty to his wife. This is chapter seven now. And likewise, the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Whoa. We belong Man. to each other. I, yeah. th- this is saying that we are created to serve our spouse sexually. Mm. What? Like that is unheard <laughs> yeah. of. But it makes perfect sense when you think of... Um, creation in the sense of sexual behavior, that sex was a way of saying, I am going to now give my life uh, and and serve my spouse. And also, if a child comes, I'm going to serve them too. It was a very, uh, what's the word I'm trying to get at here? It It was a way to say, my life is now for another. Whether it's my spouse or my child that comes from this behavior, my life is now for another, which is 100% the opposite of sex now. You exist to pleasure me. That's right. That's how a lot of us view it. And this is why, Paul, to your point, it's the original revolution. Mm Mm-hmm. We wow. should go back to it, actually, because it leads <laughs> it leads to greater joy. If if right. joy is the byproduct of serving another, and we've talked about this, let's just apply that to sex, okay? Yeah. When someone serves their spouse sexually, and the other person reciprocates that, the byproduct is incredible joy for both parties, yes. okay? I'm not like a sex expert, therapist, counselor, <laughs> so like I get a little uncomfortable even talking about this, but... Um, when someone enters into sexual behavior with a spouse and says, I'm here to pleasure you, let's just use that word, mm-hmm. and the other says, and I'm here to pleasure you, mm-hmm. then there's this great celebration with joy as a byproduct. And um, that that is just pretty, pretty revolutionary to this world that we live in. Yeah, I love it. This is This is really cool. I mean, we're talking about this in our series revolutions that we're in right now. It's coming up in a few weeks. Uh, what is it uh, to, I forget the phrasing, but to get away from oppressive thinking? Uh, Overthrowing oppressive thinking. There we go. And, and of course, I think if we were just to, to follow how um, the misuse of sex is hurting people, people know, um, our church is full of people who have been objectified and abused sexually, right? Which is someone saying, your body for me, right? Mm-hmm. And that's just so sad. 
But mm-hmm. but in a marriage, because it's such a safe relationship for life, I love you, and you can be vulnerable with me, both physically, emotionally, you know, uh, exposed body, exo- exposed soul. Then it's not it's not your body for me. It's I'm for you. Mm. And when two people say that yep. in a relationship, it's mutual, and then it's mutual celebration of that right. relationship, and that's um, that's pretty profound. Uh, Tim Keller has a, a chapter in the Meaning of Marriage on this, and. Uh, yeah, he he talks about uh, sex in a way that's um, it's that, radical. It's radical, and it needs to be <laughs> talked about, you know. And it and even like sitting in this room having this conversation is like this is a little uncomfortable. But um, you know, if if uh, if my wife were here, you know, it would be very, you know, it'd be vulnerable to talk about it. But this is this is um, when a marriage experiences this, and I think there's probably people listening, you know, and, and when your marriage gets a glimpse of this joy, you know, this euphoria that comes from giving your life to another. That includes physical sex. That's how God designed it. Mm. And that is, um, that's when sex is used for the purpose that God had in mind. And it's, it, and it brings the relationship even closer together. Mm. And that is uh, how God made us. I think you can just wrap it up, Adam, by reading 18 through 20 without comment. I mean, this is, <laughs> yes. that's what we we're just talking about. Yeah. Go ahead. So let's see what Paul has to say to close this episode. He says, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. I think when we practice sex in the way that God designed it to be practiced in terms of celebrating and and cementing uh, our marriage relationship, it honors God. 100%. When you are fully devoted to your wife, um, to your spouse, it leads to full delight. And that that also produces delightful sexual experiences with your spouse. And Mm -hmm. um, I think that's what uh, the Apostle Paul wants, and that's why it's so connected to devotion. And that's why he connects it to a relationship with Jesus. You know, it feels a little uncomfortable for us, but he's just saying, look, when you're devoted to Jesus, you experience delight. Don't devote yourself to another if you want to have delight. Mm. (laughs) And it's the same same in marriage. So if you're listening to this, the, the temptation is to think, okay, I got to clean up my behavior. Like, it's the what, it's my actions. I want to draw people into, why do you think what you think about sexual... Se- uh, why do you think what you think about sexual behavior? How did mm-hmm. you get there? And let's let's um, deconstruct, let's use that word, let's mm-hmm. deconstruct our sexual understandings, definitions, and ethics, and then build them back up again uh, with God's Word. Because I think when we do, it leads to uh, a closer intimacy uh, with your spouse, and, uh, and therefore, uh, great joy in a marriage relationship. Mm. Excellent, guys. Great, to, great topic to break down. I hope this was helpful to people listening. And as always, we would appreciate, greatly appreciate a review from you, the listener, on any of the platforms that you listen to this on that helps us out a ton. And if you want to check out any of our other podcasts, you can visit smccutah.org slash podcast. Thank you guys for being here, and we will see you again next week. Thanks again for joining us for the Fully Delighted Podcast. If you enjoyed this hopeful and helpful resource, we'd love to have you leave us a review or share an episode with a friend. For more information about SMCC, please visit us at our website at smccutah.org. Thank you for trusting us with your time, and we look forward to having you back again soon.